Hi, I'm Ken Dolan Del Vecchio, and this is the Pet Loss Companion broadcast. I'm here with my friend and colleague and coworker and co-author, I should say, not co-workers anymore, but we've been for many years, Nancy Saxton Lopez. And this is an opportunity to bring the learning that we gained over many years of facilitating pet loss support groups to a broader audience through the magic of video and podcast technology. And it is a way also for us to take the information that we shared within our book, The Pet Loss Companion, Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead Pet Loss Groups, to a broader audience. And so this, if you're not with us live, but you're listening to us on podcast or watching the video replay, we're happy to have you with us. And please consider sending us your questions and comments. And you can reach me at kenddv at gmail.com. So Ken and then my three last initials, ddv at gmail.com. And Nancy at N Saxton Lopez. So her name as you see it on the screen, but minus the hyphen at csmpc.com. csmpc.com. Also let you know that this program is a friend of Dakin Humane Society in Springfield, Massachusetts. Dakin is a 501c3 community supported animal welfare organization that provides shelter and medical care and spay neuter services, along with behavioral rehabilitation for more than 20,000 animals and people every year. Since its inception in 1969, Dakin has become one of the most recognized nonprofit organizations in central Massachusetts and a national leader in animal welfare. You can learn more about Dakin and make a donation at dakinhumane.org, and that's D-A-K-I-N-H-U-M-A-N-E.org. I highly recommend that you take a look at their website. They're a wonderful organization, and we're very happy to have a friendship with them. And I actually get my pets from them. <laughs> so, Nancy, why don't you get us started for okay. today? Okay. Uh, tonight, we were going to talk about death and spirituality and different people's beliefs and thoughts and norms. But we actually got um, some folks, two, two people who had written to us and their their loss, both losses were very tragic and complicated and complex. And we thought instead of our regular program we were going to do, that we would actually um, talk about these, these two um, young women or women with um, their dogs. Um, and they gave us permission to do so. So, because I think it, we think this a good, uh, you know, talking points, you know, about how uh, what happened and how they were dealing and what was going on, and that might be um, something that people will get, uh, viewers will get something out of. Yeah, and we and we encourage you if you send us questions, when you send us questions or comments, just let us know if it's okay to bring to the broadcast because almost invariably the, the questions that we'll bring are, are ones that are complicated or and or representative of many, many people's concerns. And the responses that we give to you, we will respond to you directly via email, but the responses that we give to you can be sometimes broadened 
in the broadcast and they will invariably touch other people's Absolutely. circumstances as well. So we're gonna first talk about a question that we got from Bree. And Bree says that, I, I'll read her note, I found your podcast recently and was hoping you could help guide me to an episode that would be helpful. And we did, we did that, but I'll tell you the circumstances of her situation because there's many points that it would be useful for us to comment on here. I recently lost my puppy, my 18-month-old puppy. He was hit by a car when my dad was watching him. And I just moved across country the day before. I had only had him for five months, but, but I was incredibly attached, as you could imagine. I live alone, and since most of it was during a lockdown, he was the only soul I saw for months. I don't find comfort in thinking about a good long life and lots of memories because he was so young. He wasn't sick. And he died because of someone's bad decision in the moment, which we all do, by the way. All of us make mistakes. And I think it's really important for that to be pointed out. Because I just moved, there's no place here that he really existed. There's nothing here that connects Bree to his memory. And she can't find comfort. And so those are those are the points. And there's lots of lots of issues there. And and Nancy, do you want to start? Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, she had, first of all, it was a pandemic and this dog was her companion. Yeah. She lives yeah. alone yeah. Mm -hmm. and she, she's single, lives alone. And that dog was with her for those five months. And, and that's obviously why she was so incredibly attached. I mean, she would be attached anyway, but it meant so much more. Um, and she just moved. So that was a stressor to begin with. Um, so huge stressor. One of the most profound stressors in life is a move of resonance, change in resonance. And then she, I guess, had was doing something away um, from the home, and uh, the puppy was there. And unfortunately, as we just said, there was an accident. Um, her father, we don't know exactly the circumstances. Right. But the puppy did get out of the house and was hit by a car. And so here she lost um, her her puppy, but she she also has the complication of someone she loves who unfortunately there was an accident around. So here's her father, who I know we know didn't mean anything to, to harm that puppy, but and I can't imagine you know he must have a lot of feelings about that, but it created also a lot of feelings in her. Yeah, and when I when I think about that, one of the one of the things that comes to mind is when somebody makes a an error in judgment or an oversight, and it has a tragic response that we're so very tied to, our heart is so tied to. It can sometimes help to get the feelings out, mm -hmm. but not necessarily directly at them. And one of the mechanisms for doing that is to write a letter as though you're writing it to that person. So to, in her case, Bree's case, to write a letter to her father without the intention of sending it to him, in which she lets out all of what she's thinking and all of her concerns, all of her, all of her mixed feelings I'm imagining all of her questions and just gets it all out, mm -hmm. writes it down and then puts it away for a little bit, puts it aside and then perhaps comes back to it in a week or so and revisits it and maybe writes it again. And 
this is a process that can help a person to sort of work through all of the reactions they're having in response to that person's role in the loss of their beloved companion. And again, I, I wouldn't recommend that you send that you actually send the, the letter. You may at some point down the road, because I think it'll actually, in most cases, the tenor of the letter might change, but there's such, there's something to be gained in getting all yes. of this out. You want to move it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And now she's, you know, she will be alone again. And, you know, she wanted to know more about sudden death. Well, it's, it's tragic. There's a lot more denial. There's a lot more shock. I mean, and that will take a period of time to move out of her. And, and at some point it will be really more raw when she, you know, ha comes to the realization that the puppy isn't coming back. And so, and that's hard to do, to have when you're alone, you know. It's so hard, yeah. Because, um, you, you, because when you're alone, you center, when you live alone with an animal companion or animal companions, many times they center your lives. Mm -hmm. They they mean home. They are your they are your home. They are your home. And you're basic in a very fundamental, heartfelt way. And that's that's quite a process of adjusting to. And one of the things she said that I, I found striking as well is that the the physical surroundings where she lives now do not hold the memory yeah. of her of Charlie, the the puppy's name was Charlie. And and so what I, one of the things I, I suggested to her is to create something that does hold the memory that she can hold close. So maybe a, a photo album, maybe a, a collage, maybe yeah. something on the, on the way of a, a keepsake shelf that we've talked about, something that is, is, is more concrete that she can actually have within her home or perhaps outside her home. I'm not sure what her circumstances are. Maybe a little garden plot or something like that could be an example as well that, that helps her to hold on to Charlie's memory right. in the place where she now lives. Because we know that Charlie is still with her. Yeah. Yeah. Spiritually anyway, she's yeah. still in her heart. So now she can create you know, that space, you know, for him in, in, in some kind of physical way with the beds or the collars or pictures and, and all of those things. Yeah. And it's, again, you know, this, when you lose an animal through tragedy like that, a puppy who you had mm -hmm. this vision, I mean, we know their lives are not going to be anywhere near the, the span of a human being, but we expect that they're going to be with us for a decade. You know, that's, a reasonable expectation and sometimes we don't even hit that mark but but to have your puppy taken from you at 18 months is so very difficult and and they would just have to acknowledge that that that's a special there's a special kind of overlay of distress that might come with that mm -hmm. and so th this is very complicated and many many questions and again the what ifs and why didn't i and all of that and the guilt. I mean, why did I leave that day? Why, you know, yeah. you know, why was dad let the dog out or however that worked? Yeah. All the questions that would would never we would never think to ask ourselves because we're not clairvoyant. 
Right. We don't of really course. know the future. Know. It's kind of like when, when the, the week before Isabel died, I kind of noticed a degradation in her condition. And I thought, you know, maybe I should take her to the bed. And then, then she went into crisis at the end of that week and actually died. And I keep coming back to that. Why and I, keep I saying, do that? Yeah. And I keep saying to myself, you know, she'd been degrading, her condition had been degrading for years. We right. knew that we were treating. So there are, there are questions that we ask ourselves in the aftermath that we would never, that no human being would actually have thought to ask themselves at the time. Right. We have to be gentle with ourselves. Exactly. We ask Bree to be gentle with herself and to, and to, and to try to give herself the same kind of loving support that she would give another person. Another person. Exactly. Yeah, it's so hard for us to do, and many of us to do. Not all of us, but many of us, it's very hard to do. Now, the other thing that we did is, um, you know, I gave her some resources in the state that she was in. Okay. Um, okay. So I looked up some pet therapy people and, you know, lost the people and some groups and so forth. And I did send it to her so she could reach out. That's great. That's great. Now, the second one is from Crystal. And uh, Hamlet um, was her beautiful dog, and he got he had gotten sick. Um, I guess he was vomiting a lot, and there was a wasn't a clue to what that was. And you know, she was trying different treatments, um, but you know, they were running out of funds, and there were more tests that needed to be done. And I was telling Ken this, that we've never heard of this, but she contacted the ASPCA for a grant. It's really um, resourceful. Which is, I mean, I've never heard know. of it. Good yeah. to know. Um, and they did offer her uh, money. Mm -hmm. um, and the uh, Hamlet went through the testing. Um, and there were three major issues that came up for him. Um, so he started in treatment with different medications. And and she was administering those medications as per the veterinarian. However, you know, he kept he was still getting ill. And so he wasn't getting better. It appeared that he was getting worse. Um, she contacted another a veterinarian. The problem with that was they needed blood work and he was a well and to have an infusion. And unfortunately, um, she ended up, you know, needing to euthanize him. And here's a woman who has three little kids and <laughs> tried to work with her first baby, Hamlet, um, and make sure that he was getting the treatment, you know, he needed. But it was stressful, right? Because they had to have money and they got money and then they had to go. Treat he was, him. This treatment was thousands of dollars. Yeah, thousands. Really thousands of dollars. Yeah. And so... When she wrote us, and, and we did, I didn't read the whole uh, note that she wrote because it was quite long, so I summarized it. But caused her, obviously, a tremendous amount of guilt um, because she administered the drugs. She, you know, followed the veterinarians, um, and he was still failing. Um, she, her questions um, were... Why didn't I see that he needed this before or on an IV? Why I could have saved him maybe. Um, I needed to go to a different vet right away. Maybe I waited too long at one vet needed to go to a different 
that. Um, maybe if I had gotten more money, I could have gone to a better facility. Um, I shouldn't have given him the food that made him sick in the beginning, um, which, you know, we, that was her read of it. She had, I guess. We're not really sure what, right. where it all began. As we fre frequently retie the beginning of illness to something that happened just before. Like maybe right. we gave a different kind of food or, right. or maybe there was, you know, they were outside and they seemed to be licking, uh, licking the grass, something off the grass or something like that. But it's hard to know exactly where this may have started the way we're thinking about it, because there was so much, there was so much infirmity happening right. all at once. And it was, and it was quick. I mean, there were, there were so many things, obviously, by the time that they got the testing that they found out about, um, and who knows how each one of those situations was reacting with, with the other. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that, that, that happened was at the time, I think that her stress level was so, so, so high and she was so overwhelmed and she was so grieving because she was anticipating this, what was going to happen. And then she ended up having to euthanize that she, um, she she chose a communal uh, cremation. Oh yes, yeah. And so, mm -hmm. and now, and then after that, she says, "Why did I do that? You know, yeah. did are they treating him? Did they treat his body with dignity? Did they treat his body with respect? You know, I, you know, why did I why did I do this? Mm -hmm. And you know, reading this and the and the the detailed story that she wrote, I mean, I could I could her her guilt was palpable and her oh. stress level was so overwhelming. Yeah. Um, because here she is trying to live her life with her kids and having all this go on at the same time, and this this Hamlet was her first baby, you know. Yeah, and, he was only he was only seven. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and she was such a she did. I, I, you want to say to her immediately, like with Brie, you did the best you could. Oh my gosh. We see, this, we see this all the time. The people who go so far above and beyond, like racking their brains to figure out, like do it, you're doing research on their own through many different means and checking in with, with second and third opinion. I mean, doing the kind of stuff that we would hope our loved ones would do for us if we were in failing health. And then because they're so conscientious, when they aren't able to save their loved one's life, they start blaming themselves. Yeah. You know, it's like this, we see this all the time that people who bend over backwards and you know, put everything they've got into it. And, 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 and then they're the, they're the same people who are guilt ridden. Yeah. And it's just part of, it's part of the nature of being an extraordinarily conscientious caregiver that when all when actually everything fails we are still thinking what should i have done better what yeah. should i've done more and now, and now I, with some of the information she knew yeah why didn't i do this yes. why didn't yeah. i see this yeah why did i make this decision and the guilt you we know you and i know that the guilt is the hardest emotion to go yeah through. yeah it really really is and 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 it it's uh it it's it's like you just have to keep and and i i'm still do i'm still doing this mentioning this to tim with some regularity tim is my husband of course you know and and he i'll say you know shouldn't i have taken isabel to the vet this last week or maybe the week before you know and he's like we knew she was dying we knew she was dying for a really long time but still 
it's it you have to ask the questions you have to put it out there you have to hear yourself say it like so many times before eventually you're just in a different place with it It, it's just not as raw and then another thing i want to say is the the question she had about hamlet's body is so evocative for me of the same kind of thing. I might have mentioned this to you offline, Nancy. So when Isabel died, my Isabel died June 19th. So it's still very fresh. And your uh, Molly died very, very recently as well in April. And um, so the vet gave us, because Tim was away traveling and coming back in a couple of days, the vet gave us her body in a box and it was very nicely it looked very much like a casket it was a cardboard box and it was taped and they put a little flower in it and i put it in an auxiliary freezer that we had and i had sat with isabel's dead body for probably a half hour or so after the doctor came in and listened to her heartbeat so i mean she was she was deceased there was no question about it and they put her in the box and I have to tell you, I had this thought when I got home. Oh my God, should I go and open the box? Is she really dead? Yeah, right. And, and you know, <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> sure. And I thought that was that was so erratic, but it was so powerful. Yeah. You know that, that. And I'm thinking about about Crystal thought of did they handle her body with respect? Yeah. Like it's the same kind of thing. Like did I do the right thing? And then at the same, like you have these thoughts that just intrude. And they're incredibly powerful. But then you have to just remind yourself, this is what happens when we're grieving. This is what happens. And I had to say to myself, she was dead. There's nothing you can do. She was gone. You know, we don't want them to be dead. We don't want to be in it. And it's like, is she, you know, is she struggling to get out of the box? (laughs) And and with with Hamlet's cases is, uh, did they handle his body? Like, did they really treat him with respect? And, you know, we have to assume that they did. The rational part of us says they're a professional organization. They're doing the right things. They, you know, we trust, we entrusted them, but the irrational part of our grief is playing is all over the place with like, you know, all of the, you know, it's stirring up. It's, it's provoking us in every way because there's just this piece about guilt and, did I really do enough and did I do it right? And am I certain that she's actually gone or he's actually gone? It's just the way it works for so many of us. Yeah. We, we talk, you know, guilt, like we said, is, is one of the, it's probably the hardest, you know, emotion. And, and the problem is that we can't take it away from anyone. You know, you no. can't take their guilt no. away. And so in the group, what we would do is someday we hope that you can forgive yourself. Yeah. You know, because, you know, you did everything possible. I mean, you reinforce that and you have other people, other people listen and they go, and you're like, what, you know, did she miss anything or did he miss anything? And they're like, I can't imagine they did. I mean, you know, now we look back and say, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Well, it's always, always Monday morning quarterbacking. I mean, you know, we can always go back and beat ourselves up, by the way. This is what guilt does. Beat ourselves up. And and to and I can't imagine putting myself in her place. She had to move on. She had children to take care of, and she worked. And having to deal with all of this with her first beloved baby mm-hmm. must 
it's 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 so incredibly overwhelming and then of course you know you do the best you can yep you know yep. you did and that's all you can do and you just that. keep putting one foot in front of the other yes. and when you need to cry you cry and when you need to be angry you get angry and you you hold in your you hold as much as possible the idea that most of most helping professionals do the best they can as well. Most of them are using the information that they are seeing and they're 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 treating their patients with their best judgment. And and when you are when you are seeing when you're getting second and third opinions, you have to imagine that they're all doing the best they can and that it's complicated. You're in a complicated case. Yes. Complic especially, I mean, my Hank had three different issues that he was dealing with for a long time. He was diabetic. He was epileptic. He was anemic. I mean, there were so many things going on with him and you, and you hope that the, I mean, you, you, you trust that the veterinarians are doing what they're supposed to do, right. but that there are, but it's complicated, you know, and is one, one issue was a diabetes affecting, you know, with Rosie when she died, she had cancer and she had kidney disease. She couldn't get the chemo because the chemo would kill the kidneys. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, there's all these complexities yeah. um, times with animals. But I do want to say that we really thank Bree and we really thank Crystal. And we want them to know that they are the best moms. And <laughs> yeah. that... <laughs> and that they're, and that the Hamlet and Charlie don't hold any grudges. They just, they just loved their moms. And so and I, you know, in, in the pain that Brie and Crystal are having, they have to know that those dogs are, are in their hearts and they will always be there, even though she, they can't touch them anymore. Yeah, and and that and that the process takes time, and yeah. you just want to be. I, I I say this so much because I think it's so important that we have to try to find a way to be gentle with ourselves yeah. and not not allow ourselves to be carried away in in guilt and misgivings and the what ifs and and you know let ourselves let let yourself go there a little bit write the stuff down, put it aside. Some people, one of the things that I'll advise people and sometimes they'll laugh is say, say, write down all what you're thinking, put it in a freezer. Yeah. Oh, okay. that's an interesting one. I haven't heard of the freezer. Yeah, put it in a plastic bag, put it in the freezer. Cause then you can say, okay, that's where it is. And then in a little while, when you feel like you absolutely have to add to it, you take it out of the freezer, <laughs> put it aside. And then you write, because it's a, it's a concrete way of, of freezing it, right? <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. And, and it putting it aside, you know it's there, but it's not inside. It's not entirely inside yourself anymore. And anything that gets it out and gives you a little bit of distance can can give you a little bit of solace. Sometimes different things work for different people, but you know that's a that's something that that you can try and and. You know, it just takes time. It just takes time. It's unfortunate that it takes time because it's painful. But yeah. it's best that we go through it the, as, as best we can. Okay. Yep, yep. So I, I guess we're toward the end of our, our time, Nancy. I want to let people know as well that we're not going to do a live broadcast next week. 
So we're going to, I'm going to be traveling and we're going to just um, ask you to join us in two weeks and also to know that you can watch these videos on YouTube. You can listen on Apple, on Spotify, on Anchor, on one of the podcast outlets. And uh, hopefully if, if you would like to hear a program, if it would be useful for you, you can choose one that we've already done and then rejoin us again in two weeks. And we want to tell everyone and really appreciate those who write in, especially with these more difficult uh, situations, um, that they were they wanted them to be known so that it could help some other people. Yeah. And for yeah. all of you who have lost and are losing and they're, they're beloved, you know, we, uh, we know that this is a really hard thing to go to, and we appreciate uh, any feedback that you have or any questions. Right. So Nancy, as always, it's great having this conversation with you and I'll look forward to talking with you on this broadcast in two weeks. Maybe we'll talk before that in the interim. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.